It's February 1998. Andrew Wakefield, a doctor at the Royal Free Hospital in London, sits down to do a press conference. His research is about to be published in one of England's most prestigious medical journals, The Lancet. The Royal Free, aware that Wakefield's findings might cause a stir, to say the least, had gathered a panel of medical experts, including Wakefield, to address the media directly. For this paper, Wakefield had studied 12 children who had developed symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. There was another thing these children all had in common as well. They'd received the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, or the MMR vaccine, a three-in-one shot that was licensed for use in the United States in 1971 and had revolutionized the field of childhood disease prevention. And there was one sentence in this report that had brought all of these journalists from some of the country's biggest newspapers to the room that day. A sentence that went like this. In eight children, the onset of behavioral problems had been linked either by the parents or by the child's physician with measles, mumps, and rubella vaccination. So basically, Wakefield's paper proposed that one of the world's most important and effective new vaccines could be causing autism. If this was true, it would send shockwaves not only through the medical establishment, but through the world. A vaccine used by hundreds of millions that was actually dangerous to children. So, as you can imagine, the messaging around this report was important. Very important. Because Wakefield's research was actually focused on this one particular thing. They were attempting to describe a new, what they thought was a new syndrome called autistic enterocolitis. So this link between bowel disease, autism, and the MMR vaccine. This is Dr. Adam Rutherford, a geneticist and journalist. But the paper itself doesn't actually make a a causal connection between the vaccine and autism or the the bowel disorder. It's at this press conference that Wakefield starts saying things that are not actually in the paper. As a matter of fact, Wakefield's report states, we did not prove an association between measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine and the syndrome described. But that's not what Wakefield said when he sat down to do this press conference. Instead, he offered a suggestion that wasn't in the paper. He said, This was very contentious, and you would not get consensus from all members of the group on this. But that is my feeling that the risk of this particular syndrome developing is related to the combined vaccine, the MMR, rather than the single vaccines. He made a very clear link between MMR, the vaccine, and autism in a sort of causative way. The suggestion was that MMR was causing uh, autism to develop in these children, which is not something that actually says in the paper itself. But that was the that was the light that lit the touch paper, which escalated. The press picked up on it, turned into, you know, the, I, I I think arguably the biggest medical hoax, certainly in my lifetime, and, and possibly in all history. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is cheap a series that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. 
See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. All right, let's address the elephant in the room here or in the podcast here or wherever you are. Vaccines are on everyone's minds these days. For months and months now, it's been almost a casual topic of discussion, or maybe not so casual because it's kind of polarizing. It's like, did you get the vaccine? Did you not get the vaccine? Which vaccine did you get? The Pfizer, Moderna? Did you get the one-shot, hitter-quitter, the J&J? I mean, talk of vaccine is on the news every single day. But let's be honest. We're pretty much all tired of debating this. Are you pro-vax? Are you anti-vax? Thankfully, that's not what today's episode is about. We're not going to get hung up on a debate that shouldn't really be happening. Instead, we're going to look at one of the long-standing myths that still circulates in anti-vax circles. And what's crazy is a lot of this anti-vax shit really just ties back to one man, a man who carried out a major medical fraud, one that we still have to deal with today. Because, and maybe we forget this, before we had vaccines, infectious diseases were pretty much the leading killers in the world. But when vaccines hit the scene, they basically acted like soldiers going to war, fighting off these infectious diseases. The purpose of a vaccine is to protect you against severe disease caused by viruses and bacteria. I mean, the goal of a vaccine is basically to induce an immune response that is typically the product of a natural infection without having you pay the price of a natural infection. This is Dr. Paul Offit. He's an attending physician in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Children's Hospital Philadelphia, one of the premier children's hospitals in the world. He's also the director of the Vaccine Education Center there. So basically, this dude knows what he's talking about when it comes to kids and infectious diseases. Well, the first vaccine was in the late 1700s, the smallpox vaccine. Smallpox has killed probably 500 million people in the world's history and has been eliminated from the face of the earth by vaccines. Typically, polio would cause about 20 to 30,000 children every year in the United States to be paralyzed and 1,500 to die before there was a diphtheria vaccine. Diphtheria was actually the biggest killer of teenagers in the United States. And this goes on and on and on. I mean, we're talking about a whole bunch of diseases that have killed a whole bunch of people. These are also all diseases that have either been eradicated or close to it with just a vaccine. I think we don't realize just how much we've we've uh, benefited from vaccines. I guess you have to be old like me to realize it. I'm going to be honest. I've never heard of anyone getting rubella or the mumps. I don't even know what rubella is. It feels like it's so long ago that it's kind of medieval at this point. We have the MMR vaccine to thank for that. And it wasn't the first combination vaccine. But it represented a scientific breakthrough in the world of vaccines. The thing that's unique about measles, mumps, rubella, those are three live attenuated viral vaccines. That wasn't an easy vaccine to make in combination. It took a long time to do that. It might have taken a long time to develop, but it was certainly fast to administer. With MMR, you'd get two shots instead of six. Now ask a kid what they prefer. Two shots or six shots? What do you think they'll say? MMR was efficient and it was effective. Infectious disease rates dropped, big time. 
You would have three to four million children every year who would get measles. You would have about 50,000 that would be hospitalized. You'd have 500 who died. And that there was a steady decrease in that. I mean, such that by the, say, the mid-80s, we were at a point where there were only, you know, maybe uh, 1,500 cases a year and just a few deaths. And then we eliminated measles from the United States by the year 2000. There was no endemic measles. There was no measles circulating from one American child to the next. Those numbers don't lie. The MMR was a success. And within a few decades, dangerous childhood diseases that made so many kids sick and killed a lot of them were virtually disappearing. And that's when Dr. Andrew Wakefield comes along. Wakefield was born into a family of doctors. Not just his parents, his father being a neurologist, his mother being a family physician, but his grandfather and great-grandfather were doctors as well. It's like a family tradition. It's in his blood. Growing up, Wakefield wasn't always the smartest kid in the room, but he certainly had charisma. He was handsome and headstrong. He kept on his medical path, training at St. Mary's Hospital in London as a gastrointestinal surgeon. By the age of 29, he was a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, Britain's most prestigious medical institute. He was a rising star in the medical world, and pretty quickly, he was doing major research into inflammatory bowel disease at the Royal Free Hospital, one of the country's main teaching and research centers. You know, as they say, and they certainly said it in this case, he was a man of great potential. And like a man who believes in his potential, Wakefield wanted to make a name for himself. So he began to focus on inflammatory bowel diseases, specifically Crohn's disease. Not the most glamorous subject, but Crohn's disease was interesting to Wakefield because it actually has no clear cause and no known cure. He was going to be the man to solve the mystery. Wakefield published a number of papers throughout the 90s looking closely at Crohn's, and he noticed something. A lot of patients with Crohn's disease also tested positive for measles virus RNA, something you can only get either from having measles or from having the measles vaccine. He thinks, this must be it. And so he decides to focus his research on proving this link. His scientific peers pushed back. Just because something is present doesn't mean it's the cause. But Wakefield, he kept digging into this theory he had about the measles vaccine and inflammatory bowel disease. And at some point, he shifts his focus from the single measles vaccine to the MMR, the combination vaccine. And that's when he struck on something big. Which brings us back to the February 1998 press conference where Wakefield unveils his research that would link Crohn's, the MMR vaccine, and autism spectrum disorder. That was the new syndrome Wakefield put forth, autistic enterocolitis. So here's what he posited. He posited that because the vaccine was given in combination instead of separately, that it therefore weakened your immune system. Now, there were a number of ways that Wakefield could have backed this up. He could have done serological studies to show that there was evidence that there was a blunting of the immune response, but he didn't do that. Serological studies, a.k.a. blood samples. We know he had them, but this dude did some pretty weird shit to get them. He had serum on all these children. He had serum on control children that he obtained from children at his son's birthday party, which was, I suspect, no party for those children. Taking blood at a kid's birthday? For real, bro? 
What kind of birthday party is this? This is not a party at all. Yeah, have some cake, little Johnny. Now let me stick you with this needle and draw some blood. It's just a little different from the usual party activities. Now, he biopsied these children. He could have very easily shown that there was measles vaccine virus genome in intestinal epithelial but he didn't do that. Then he said that because the intestine was damaged, that led, led to the ingress of uh, these brain-damaging proteins, encephalopathic proteins. Then, because apparently this encephalopathic protein could go to the brain, cross an intact blood-brain barrier, and then enter the brain and cause autism. I mean, he just made it up. All right. I think we need a recap here. Wakefield argued that the combination vaccine overwhelmed the child's immune system. This would cause intestinal distress and allow elements of the measles vaccine to travel to the brain where it would impact brain function and development, triggering symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. He made every step of that up. He didn't have a proof for any one of those steps. I mean, it was just this kind of ex-cathedra kind of statement that here's this vaccine that causes this problem without any proof. But guess what? That didn't stop people from believing him. But now the MMR vaccine is at the center of a controversy about whether or not in some children it causes autism, a lifelong incurable mental disorder. While most doctors say there is no proof of such a link, more and more parents seem to think that there is, that the vaccine is to blame for their children's autism. More on that after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. The reaction to Wakefield's rogue statements about the MMR vaccine at the 98 press conference was, to put it lightly, off the charts. The next day, the headlines reported that there was a new study linking the MMR vaccine to autism. The fact that it was just an early report involving only 12 children got lost really quickly in the mayhem. It's a dilemma. The MMR vaccine will protect you against measles, mumps, and rubella. In fact, measles kills thousands of people every year. But today, questions about the vaccine. The press, the newspapers particularly in this country, went absolutely nuts for it. Dr. Adam Rutherford. Because here is a vaccine, a medical intervention, which is given as standard to all children to prevent against some pretty serious diseases, three diseases, and it's a combined vaccine in order to reduce the potential suffering in giving injections to small kids. And here is some evidence that this vaccine is actually causing autism and severe forms of autism as well. So, you know, it was, it was massive. The newspapers went absolutely crazy for it as a story. And remember, Wakefield is a pretty charismatic and good-looking dude. And turns out, he's also super media savvy. He was attractive, well-spoken, had a British accent. Dr. Paul Offit. He was convincible because he was convinced. I mean, he was on, you know, every morning and evening television show. There was actually a, a biopic made about him called Hear the Silence, you know, where Hugh Bonneville played Andrew Wakefield. I mean, Hugh Bonneville, you know, the guy from, from Downton Abbey. Are you Dr. Wakefield? Yes. I've been asking for a secretary for ages. We just can't keep up. 
I wonder if you could look at my son. When you have, like, famous actors playing scientists on television, you know, you've made it. I've asked to be referred to you. I've read your work on Crohn's, inflammatory bowel disease, and the measles. You, you're a doctor? No, I'm a mother. Something's happened to my son. Wakefield had pretty much made it, managing to portray himself as a daring outsider, a radical going up against the medical establishment. And to no surprise, Wakefield's message also crossed the pond. Because for some reason, folks think people with British accents are smart. You know what? Accents don't make you smart. In every language and accent, there are dumb people, including Brits. I mean, I think when we, when we hear the British accent in this country, we're willing to give ourselves back to the Queen at this point. You know, we just love it. I think he benefited from all that. Yep. Wakefield benefited at our expense. The people. Because pretty immediately after he published his research, vaccination levels started dropping. I mean, in, in uh, the United Kingdom, England, Scotland, and Wales, people stopped vaccinating children with, with MMR vaccine. Thousands of parents did that. Hundreds of children were hospitalized and four died from measles as a result of that paper. And then that misperception or ill-conceived notion crossed the Atlantic Ocean, came to the United States. And again, probably many parents, it's a, Tens of thousands of parents chose not to vaccinate their children, and so measles came back in this country. And a couple of years ago, we had children hospitalized in the intensive care unit at NYU Langone Medical Center because parents had made that choice to put their children at unnecessary risk. Some of those parents, they were pretty high profile, too. Like then-Prime Minister Tony Blair, who was a new father in the early 2000s. He refused to comment on whether his son was given the MMR vaccine. And then that becomes a new story. When the prime minister of a country says, I'm not commenting on this, this standard medical application, which has alleviated suffering in literally millions of people now, when the prime minister says, we're not going to comment on this, you know, they're just throwing petrol on an already incendiary situation. And Wakefield just kept going. Now that he had his platform, he wasn't going to give it up. He's on TV, he's doing interviews, he's pushing his findings. And people are responding to him, partly because of how he was framing his work. Not only was he, is he, you know, charming and serious, and I, you know, I don't want to go on about him being good-looking, but he, but you know, he has an appeal to him. He was also offering hope to a bunch of people who are in one of the most traumatic moments in their existence when they discover their children may have mild or even severe forms of autism, which can radically change their behaviour. It can be incredibly serious for the individuals, for the children, but also for the family. And at that time, we didn't understand the causes of autism. We still really don't. Um, But suddenly a guy pops up and says, well, I do, right? I can offer hope to people who are at their absolutely most vulnerable. And you just need to listen to me and I uh, I, I will take on the establishment on your behalf. So this guy Wakefield was actually positioning himself as a hero willing to speak truth to the powerful. As a clinical scientist, I am absolutely morally obliged to see this through to its natural conclusion to establish whether there is a causal relationship or not. My duty is not to public health. It is very, very difficult to serve two masters. My duty is to the patient. All the while, everyone else was starting to look into his work to see if he was a hack. At that point, you know, other scientists, other medics, other autism specialists, other gastroenterologists, 
get involved and they look at the research. Another key principle of scientific publications is share your data and the data has to be verifiable. And if these, if these 12 kids, because that's how many it was in the original paper, are all autistic, well, we want to know what type of autism they've got, how that can be graded. When were they administered the vaccine? When did the onset of autistic symptoms begin relative to when the vaccine was administered to these children? So as soon as you start making these extraordinary claims, the rest of the community gets on board and says, hold on a minute, you know, this, this isn't, you know, let's see your data. And that's when it begins to slightly unravel. The first sign something weird was going on was Wakefield leaving the Royal Free Hospital in 2001. And at this point, you know, he's a public figure and has the badge of heresy with him. When he stood down from the Royal Free, the hospital where he worked, he said, I think it was, I have been asked to go because my research is unpopular, right? I mean, that's a classic, it's a very sort of British understatement. Oh, so that's what we're saying now when you cook the books. It's unpopular. Well, that's how Wakefield managed to spin it. He was leaving the royal free because the establishment couldn't accept what he had found. He was too radical for them, too much of a visionary. And for many years, this was more or less the accepted narrative. Yeah, some saw Wakefield as a quack, but a lot of people believed him and thought he really had done research that was only rejected because it threatened vested interests like the big pharmaceutical companies that made the MMR vaccine. There's sufficient anxiety in my own mind that was the long-term safety of the polyvalent, that is the MMR vaccination in combination, uh, that I think that it should be suspended in favor of the single vaccines. But then, in the mid-2000s, Brian Deere, a journalist at the Sunday Times in London, started looking into Wakefield's research. And what he found was cause for some real concern. Do you remember those kids he used in the study? Well, it turns out they were plaintiffs in a lawsuit filed against vaccine manufacturing companies on behalf of parents who believed that the vaccines had caused their children to develop autism. The lawyer representing these families had contacted and hired Wakefield to do this research. That meant you could hardly class this work as independent. And that's not all. We know Wakefield was already doing his own research into Crohn's and vaccines, but this dude also had some other plans he was putting together. Deer found the real reason Wakefield was carrying out this research. Turned out, he had some financial incentives tied to the results of the MMR paper. Now, one of the things that emerged is that Wakefield had financial stakes in single vaccines at that time. And how crazy is that? More after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. It always seems to come back to the almighty dollar, doesn't it? To find the fraud, you got to find the money trail. Because before Wakefield had even published his research, he had filed a patent for a single-shot measles vaccine. He filed a second one for a diagnostic kit that parents could purchase to test if their child had autistic intercolitis. Remember, 
the very same syndrome that Wakefield proposed in his study. A syndrome that basically didn't exist anywhere outside Andrew Wakefield's head. Wakefield had been calculating the profits these products, which would be used instead of the MMR vaccine, would bring in to fill his coffers. He started getting the plans together for various companies, and as Deer found, most of this was in the works well before Wakefield's report went out. Hmm, okay, Wakefield, I'm starting to put it together now. You got a lot of shit going on here. I feel like we need to we need to take a step back and walk this thing through. All right. Wakefield was working on a replacement for the MMR vaccine before he came out with his fake study that supposedly showed that the MMR vaccine was harmful. He was already working on a test kit for a disease that didn't exist. Well, shit. Talk about a cheat. And yet, it would take over a decade for Wakefield to face more substantial consequences. In that time, Brian Deere's work prompted other medical institutions to look into Wakefield's research, including the UK's General Medical Council, the GMC. In 2010, they presented the findings at their longest hearing to date. After this lengthy disciplinary investigation, the judge rules that it is fraudulent, that gross misconduct has taken place and that he should be struck off the medical register. Callous disregard for distress or pain that children might have suffered, you know, conduct that was unbefitting of the hospital's standard ethics procedures. Yep, like taking blood samples from kids at a birthday party. A few ethical issues there. And and the charges about, you know, conflict of interest, financial conflict of interest by Wakefield and his solicitors. Uh, and representing parents who thought that their children had been harmed by MMR. Oh, and it turns out he misreported some of the data too. Like when these children started expressing symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. What the whole study was about. The whole thing is just a horrible, horrible mess. The GMC's disciplinary panel concluded that their findings, quote, which include those of dishonesty and misleading conduct, amounted to, quote, serious professional misconduct on the part of Wakefield. Shortly afterwards, The Lancet retracted Wakefield's report and he was stripped of his medical license. He was a doctor no more. I think what we now know is that the Lancet paper, which was always felt to be bad science, is a deliberate fraud that was perpetrated in order to try to show a link between the vaccine and autism. Other members of the medical community slash medical establishment weighed in too. In 2011, the British Medical Journal published a massive two-part investigation into Wakefield. In an accompanying editorial, the journal's editor-in-chief referred to Wakefield's research as an elaborate fraud that had implications for the scientific community at large. Basically, how did no one catch this before it went live? That's what I'm wondering. The whole point of the way we publish science is that other people check your work. There's peer review, which happens before publication, and then there's post-publication review as well by the entire community. So peer review is basically when other experts in your field check your work and they decide if it's fit to go public or not. 
Peer review and publication in a journal is not a sort of benchmark of scientific gospel. It's merely a significant barrier against... It's, it's saying that this is work that deserves to be scrutinized in the public domain, right? It's not saying it's, it, it's the absolute truth and cannot be contested. But if you're going to make claims that are so bold, well, I think that the peer review in this process absolutely failed. It's a terrible study. Right, it's, it's overtly and obviously a terrible study before it was shown to be fraudulent. It took these folks 12 years to figure this all out, which feels a little too late. I mean, think about it. That's 12 years of toddlers going to the doctor, not getting their shots or getting them late. That's how we see vaccination levels start to dip. And then we see more and more people getting sick again. The knock-on factor is something that which I think most people hadn't heard of at the time, but is now a common parlance because of COVID, which is herd immunity. The concept that you have to have a proportion of people vaccinated in order for the disease to not have enough people to spread. Now, before MMR, herd immunity needed to be in the 90s in order for uh, measles, mumps or rubella to, to not spread. And it dropped well down into the 80s and I think down to into the 70s in some parts of the country. This was in Britain, but vaccine rates were actually dropping all over the world. It was a nightmare that kept going, even though Wakefield's work was quickly disproven by the rest of the scientific community. Eighteen studies have been done since Wakefield's report was published. None have found any evidence to support his claim. So why were people so willing to believe Wakefield? Well, a lot of that has to do with the way autism actually develops. And here's where we see people conflating things that shouldn't be conflated. It's the classic correlation versus causation fallacy. Wakefield was trying to prove that the MMR vaccine caused autism. When it's just that symptoms of ASD emerge in early childhood about the same time a child receives their vaccines. Just because two things are happening at the same time doesn't mean one causes the other. To clarify here for a moment, we don't necessarily need to look for a cause for ASD. It's not a disease. It's just another way that some folks' brains process information. But while we don't necessarily need to identify a clear cause, we could still be devoting resources to learn more about ASD. However, a lot more money, time, and energy have gone into disproving and disproving again this fake link between autism and vaccines. I mean, there's a more general point here about fraud or deception in science, whether deliberate or, or accidental, which is that other people have to clear up the mess. There isn't a policing service for science. We just, we do our work and other experts check it and you, you do it as best you can and then you correct it. We all want to be wrong in science. That's a cornerstone of scientific thinking. You try to be wrong so that other people can correct it. So when, when you come out and pr produce something which is, you know, deeply problematic or deeply fraudulent or, you know, whatever, resources have to be directed from other people's work in order to check it. And we shouldn't have to have done any of that because the original study was fraudulent and it was ne there was never any science to support it. There was never any data to support it. I mean, this dude made a huge mess. Wakefield's fraud had a massive impact. It harmed the families who believed a lie about their children's health the children who got ill and sometimes died because they weren't vaccinated, and the populations that didn't have the benefit of herd immunity. In many ways, vaccines were the perfect scapegoat. I get it. 
because it's not like a parent's concern is unwarranted. You're still putting something into your child's body. When they don't work, it could be bad. But when they do work, and they almost always do, nothing happens. You stay healthy. And when nothing happens, we can easily forget how bad these diseases can be. Not only have we largely eliminated measles from the United States, we've eliminated the memory of measles. I mean, measles made you sick. Measles often caused pneumonia, it often caused hospitalizations, and occasionally it caused children to die. And, and not only could it affect the lungs, it could affect the brain and cause an unusual disease called subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, where over a period of five to seven years, children would progressively deteriorate neurologically and die. It's... Uh, I just don't think real people realize the horror of these viruses. They just think of them as typical childhood diseases, rites of passage. But uh, those stories are always told by the survivors. Uh, you know, who tells the stories of those who don't survive? And yet, it's not that unusual to see headlines about a measles outbreak at a Disneyland that spreads to an even larger group of people. Fifteen years after U.S. health officials declared measles had been eliminated from our country, the virus is roaring back into the headlines tonight. And as far as Wakefield, he's still around. He moved to the United States where he continues to preach vaccine skepticism and misinformation, some related to COVID-19. And he's amassed a number of supporters. A lot of them you may recognize. Jenny McCarthy, Donald Trump, L. McPherson, all people who were drinking the Kool-Aid on this vaccine autism lot. I think sometimes it takes, you know, major controversies such as Wakefield to wake people up to the fact that this can happen. That's the question we should be asking ourselves. You know, he did perpetrate fraud and it looks like it was deliberate. But the questions we should be asking ourselves is how did it escalate? Why wasn't this shut down by his colleagues at the Royal Free, by the peer review when he submitted to the journal, by the editor at the journal, by the people managing the press conference the night they announced it, by the press who reported on it and their editors without scrutiny, by the university who were managing this whole situation. How did it get from one guy to a global health crisis? So it's that process which needs scrutiny. All it took was one report to sow a groundswell of doubt. And even though Wakefield's work was fraudulent, he was discredited and his claim has been disproved over and over in other studies, this vaccine belief still persists. It's a little scary how something can so quickly spiral out of control if no one steps in or speaks out. Health is one of the great equalizers of us humans. We're all vulnerable. We all can get sick. So it's easy to see how people can fall victim to a lie when it concerns our health, the health of our children, no less. It's almost as if Wakefield's cheat is of the worst sort. Because when you cheat with money or sport, you're affecting the lives of people. But when it comes to health, you're cheating people out of their lives directly. And how would we know? It shouldn't be incumbent upon us, the general public, to scrutinize because we're not scientists, we're not the experts. And with the stakes being this high, we need people who know what the hell they're doing to speak up when they see bullshit. Because when they don't, people get sick and possibly die. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus, 
It's like cheap, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. The scenes they documented were wild, wild. There was a scene of a campfire with, you could see sort of half-naked men carousing. They were throwing ammunition into the fire. They were shooting off guns. Bullets were going off in the middle of in the middle of this residential area. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Joe Sykes. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Special thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, and Ella McLeod. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> <laughs>